Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. What do you think is the most unladylike thing about shooting guns? Uh, gut reaction. <laughs> oh my God, so dirty. Is that it's a long, narrow object that very easily shoots things out of it. <laughs> so answer penises. Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today, we're looking down the barrel of an issue that ends with women pulling the trigger. And if you couldn't guess by those puns, we're talking about guns. Hey, that rhymed. Okay, see, y'all, there are already puns. There are rhymes. All that to say, we're talking about firearms. Don't turn off the podcast. Don't turn off the podcast, please. We're going to get through this together. Here at Unladylike, while you and I are not gunslinging gals, this is an important conversation that we all have a stake in. Women are all over the gun issue. And by Mm -hmm. that, I mean we are leading the charge on both sides of the so-called gun debate in the United States, whether we're talking about Emma Gonzalez of the Parkland students helping lead the charge for more gun control or someone like NRA spokeswoman Dana Loesch, who's helping lead the charge, loosening gun restrictions in the United States. But what we wanted to do was take a deeper look at why 22% of women, or one in five women in the U.S., owns a gun. Because if we just suspend our political beliefs about firearms for a moment— and believe what women say about why they own guns, the number one reason is self-defense, an issue which we can probably all relate to on some level. Absolutely. So rather than sitting here and discussing the morality of gun ownership, who should or shouldn't own a gun, rather than relitigating the Second Amendment, today We want to know what or who guns are supposed to protect women from and how that matches up to the reality of actually using a gun to defend yourself as a woman. And to do that, we're going to talk to two women, both from the Atlanta area, who never really saw themselves as potential gun owners, but have ended up believing that they are their best option for protection and moving through the world. And heads up, we will be talking about various forms of assault and violence throughout this episode. 
First up, let's meet Dana. Yes, hello. My name is Dana Fuchko. I am a transgender woman, and I am a member of a disadvantaged group, Self-Defense and Gun Club. And that club is called? Trigger Warning. Pew, pew, pew! Best pun ever! (laughs) Caroline, I gotta say that if anything, this episode is definitely bringing the puns. Gun puns. Trigger Warning specifically focuses on training LGBTQ folks in gun safety. There's trigger warning is also a term in the gun culture as well. What does that trigger warning mean? It's more just like being paying attention to where your trigger is. My wife truly laughs when I go into this because I'll point it out in movies. You don't put your finger on the trigger until you are actually ready to fire. You train Mm -hmm. to have it off. So I get so perturbed when I see people wandering around, their fingers on the trigger. I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) stop. What are you doing, you idiot? Stop. Stop. Dana knows a lot about guns because before she transitioned, she was in the military. That's where she went from having never shot a real gun to carrying her pistol with her everywhere she went. But, Caroline, something that kind of astonished me was how hyper-safe the military was about teaching Dana how to shoot. Like, she says that soldiers aren't even given their own gun until a third of the way through basic training. And yet, civilian randos can just, like, walk in and buy a gun in under an hour in the U.S. I know. It does not make sense. And for Dana, that intensive safety training definitely came in handy once she deployed and had to be constantly armed. I mean, go to the bathroom to wash up. Take it with you. It's set right next to the shower stall. I slept with it literally under my pillow. So it was literally within arm's reach of me for an entire year. Yeah, at the end of that year, I was very, very comfortable carrying and handling that pistol. Mm-hmm. I mean, it felt an extension of me almost because I'm just like, I'm used to it, right? I kind of like felt like I was missing a limb almost when I got home because there was like this weight on my leg mm-hmm. that's supposed to be there. And it's not. So, yeah, I mean, getting to the point where the training really, you get really used to it. And the muscle memory aspect starts kicking in, which is a good thing. Because if you can internalize the muscle memory, that will mean that you'll be less likely to make safety mistakes. So as Dana was learning about guns overseas, she was also reckoning with her gender identity. Like we said, she enlisted in the military before she transitioned. But it was basically on her mind from the time she was a kid. I probably first realized I had gender stuff when I was like five. I saw an article on a trans woman and kind of like it clicked. Um, I didn't tell anyone ever about it until I was like in my 20s. But like I would like sneak into my mom's and my sister's clothes when I was in middle school and high school and wear them sometimes. Sorry, mom. Sorry. Sorry, sisters. <laughs> um, so, but when I enlisted, of course, the military did not allow people with a gender identity disorder to serve. A little while after she left the military, Dana came out as trans. But it took her a while to merge those two parts of her, like the veteran who liked to shoot in her brother-in-law's backyard and the queer trans woman. Because being into guns as a queer person isn't exactly mainstream. The majority of gun culture in this country is largely on the conservative side. That culture is also, they'll say they won't, but they're racist, they're sexist, they're homophobic. So why would women people of color, or queers want to go associate with them. At the best, they'll tolerate you, which is kind of what I've seen. Which is why when her friend Sarah suggested they start their own club for LGBTQ identifying folks who are also into guns or just want to learn more about them, 
Dana was really excited to create a safe space for folks like her. Like kind of my, one of my specialties in distance training is like working with, like understanding that a lot of people in our community are going to be traumatized and have mental health issues. Um, so working around that and recognizing that and respecting it, you know, like we said, making a safe space and not saying, you know, man up, blah, 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 whatever, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, saying, hey, you know what? That's perfectly valid. It's okay. I got a friend who has suggested some interest in learning to have firearms, but he's had some traumatic experiences with them in the past. So he's like, I'm really kind of nervous about it. I'm like, you know what? That's okay. You can, whenever you're comfortable, um, no pressure, but, you know, if ever you want to, I'm here. Just give me a holler. I'd be glad to help you walk through things. And if you have any concerns or fears or issues, feel free to, like, share them or say, I can't do this right now. No judgment, you know, type of thing. Mm -hmm. So... And I think that's important. Was there anything that prompted, beyond your enjoyment of guns, um, that specifically prompted trigger warnings founding? Yes. The election of Donald Trump to the presidency of the United States of America. I mean, because I know so many of my friends that are queer, so many friends and family members that are people of color, and everyone's looking at these racist, sexist, homophobic people coming into office. And, you know, there was like this upsurge in neo-nationalism, which... I find personally kind of terrifying because, you know, the last time the Nazis came to power, they systematically killed people like me. And, you know, general, like, people thinking that it's cooler to be more bigoted in public and worrying about it. I know a lot of people that were, like, really worried and they're like, God, do I need to get a gun? And so Feeling looking, a sense of, of being physically endangered in yes, public more so. and worrying about. And, I mean, I have honestly experienced that. I have been out and transitioning for, wow, four years now. In the past year, I have seen more bigotry and hatred and violence directed towards me than the previous three years combined. I see a lot of people on the left that I know that would be coming. They're like, I'm really kind of interested in maybe getting a firearm to protect myself or looking into it. What Dana's talking about here is part of a broader trend of gun ownership and safety training among marginalized groups like LGBTQ folks, African-Americans and Muslims. Especially post-election, a lot of folks say they're concerned about protecting themselves from racial and gender-based violence, which goes right back to people's need and desire to feel safe. A quarter of female gun owners list self-defense as their only reason why they own a gun versus just 8% of men who say the same thing. And Dana says she really started to grasp that desire for self-defense that women tend to have more so than men after she started to transition. Because... Even before I transitioned, I considered myself to be a feminist because I'm like, well, you look at it objectively. Women don't have things as good as men, I feel. So we should support equality. You know, they only make 70 cents on the dollar <laughs> and, you know, other stuff. And transitioning has made me like a stark raving, like, kill all men feminist. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. It really kind of sucks being a woman a lot of times. You get treated like crap. And what, tell, me, tell me a little more about that. In what, in what ways are Feeling you safety it? issues, worrying about... Unwanted attention from random freaking strangers. I think the thing that um, that personally bums me out the most is um, when I realize that I'm a 33-year-old woman who's afraid of the dark. I, I, I resent that feeling of, of not wanting to go jogging at twilight because as soon as it gets dark and I'm my body's like out. Same. I'm like, I'm always kind of like, I always feel... I always feel very vulnerable whenever I go outside. I am acutely aware of how vulnerable I am to whatever might happen. But, like, one of the things especially that clicked me that's realized how messed up things in this country are is that 
going to transition, talking to my women friends and safety things. What we tell our daughters and our sisters and our wives and our mothers to how to defend themselves and be aware of when they leave the house is the same mindset that we teach our soldiers to do when they go out on combat patrols. And that's fucked up. You go outside your house. Pay attention to your surroundings at all time. Head on a swivel. Be paying attention to your gut. Every place you go to, judge whether that's a safe place to go. When people come to speak to you, be polite and respectful, but you always have to be thinking and preparing for if this dude freaks out and pulls a knife on you, what are you going to do? You always have to be thinking that. Training for that, though, I think can also kind of like, it can screw with your head a little bit. So it can cause stress because it is very stressful because if you go around thinking that everyone's going to hurt you, well, that's just not very mentally healthy, even if it is true. Yeah. I mean, to yeah, that sense of just being constantly vulnerable. Yes. How much does that weigh on you? Like, how often does it cross your mind that something bad could happen? Every day. Every day. Multiple times a day. Whenever I leave the house. So me, I mean, if I'm not wearing a wig right now, and I don't pass very well. But like when I wear a wig and such, and I can put on a presentation, I feel like I'll pass from a distance and I'll be fine. But then if you get up close or talk to me or get face to face, I'm not going to. So what I'm worried about the situation is I'm walking down the street. There's some dude hanging out with his friends, catcalling and talking, oh, look at that hot girl, blah, blah, blah. Then they get close and realize I'm trans, and he freaks out because now, as far as he sees it, he was sexually attracted to a dude. So now he freaks out because that makes him not straight, and he's got to beat me down to prove his straightness to his friends. I mean, that's a situation that happens to people. That's what I'm kind of worried about, honestly. It is a situation that happens. Dana's right. I mean, trans women are at a disproportionately high risk for all types of violence, whether that's police violence, sexual assault, harassment, and yes, gun violence, too. But the head trip in all of this, Caroline, is that even though as a cisgender woman, I am at a far, far, far lower risk of violence and harassment, and yet, like I told Dana, I'm still scared of the dark because— Growing up, personally speaking, I, in a lot of ways, I was very much socialized to fear men I didn't know, to yeah. fear the boogeyman. Right. And that whole looming threat of stranger danger is so potent for women at large across the United States that sociologists call this our paradox of fear, paradoxical because statistically— Women are at a much lower risk of being actually victimized compared to men. Yeah, yet we're the ones who are taught to protect ourselves, right, and be on guard, which brings us back to the question of who are guns supposed to be protecting women from? Supposedly, they protect women from any boogeyman who might want to jump out of the shadows or break into our homes to violently rape and kill us. But in Dana's reality, at least, in her lived experience, the most potent threat comes from a far more violent cocktail. I think the bigger problem is toxic masculinity. You look at all these shooters, they're pretty much all men. I mean, I guess there was the YouTube one, but, you know, they're pretty much all guys and also white guys. So in terms of safety and the Uh sense of safety, um... (laughs) Which would make you feel safer, all of the guns off the street or all the white men off the street? Oh, I don't know. Probably the men, (laughs) honestly. Because I don't necessarily see a lot of guns floating around. 
Well, and if you and look at— I've never at, felt really violently threatened by a gun. Yeah. I've never felt like my life's in danger from a gun. But I've had all those things happen from white men. When we come back, we're going to meet someone who's dedicated her whole life to arming a million women. Not just to help protect themselves outside of the house, but where, statistically, the danger more often resides. In our homes and relationships. Stay with us. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you have a concealed carry permit? Absolutely. Okay. So do you have a gun with you right now? (laughs) Absolutely. We're back and we're in our studio in Atlanta with Marshall Washington and her gun. Wait, what? There's a gun in the studio? <laughs> there was, but Marcelle is a professional. She's a firearm instructor. But like Dana, she didn't grow up with guns. I was taught that guns are for bad guys. Um, the only people that have guns are either criminals or police officers. Um, so, yeah, we, we weren't allowed to play with even toy guns. Really? So, yeah, we couldn't have water guns. or No water guns! No water guns, Nerf guns, no toy guns. So what did your parents say? Like, why did they not even want you to have toy guns? I think because of the stigma, especially in the black community with firearms, you know, a lot of black people just sitting in a Starbucks are looked at, you know, as criminals, no matter what they're doing. So, you know, you add a firearm into that mix and then, you know, it just increases that stereotype and that stigma. So they wanted to keep us away from firearms because they didn't want us to be seen as criminals or thugs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they just did it out of protection, yeah. pr- trying to protect us. So how would you describe your relationship with guns now and what do they mean to you? I love firearms now. And to me, they mean freedom. They mean safety and security. Um, I have the freedom to defend myself and the safety and security of being able to defend myself there in the moment instead of having to wait for someone else to come save me. So I feel like I'm my own hero. You know, I don't have to wait on a man or a cop or security guard or whoever to save me or help me. I can help myself. The desire to protect herself isn't just some abstract concept for Marshall. A few years ago, she started dating someone who seemed really romantic. He was charming, you know, candlelit dinners, all that cool stuff, that get dressed, I'll pick you up at seven, like that textbook charmer. And, you know, slowly during our relationship, I noticed, you know, the love taps, you know, the flirting and the playful hitting and the playful fighting, it got more serious. And, you know, even when it was playful, I was like, hey, that, you know, I know that you didn't mean that, but that really hurt, you know, or that left a mark on my leg. I don't really like that. And he would kind of shrug it off like, oh, well, it's whatever. I'm just playing with you. You know, it's not a big deal. But uh, there came a point in our relationship where we got into an argument and um, he love tapped me or whatever on my thigh and it really hurt bad. And my reflex, I hit him back. Um, and I, I didn't think about it. It just happened. I hit him back, and I think I hit him in the chest. Like, I just swung at him, and I've never been more afraid for my life than that moment. Um, you know, the look on his face was, was was really odd. It was almost like a calm. Like, he was happy. 
that I hit him back. You know, I felt extremely scared and um, he ended up choking me. Um, I tried to leave. I tried to walk away. He grabbed me um, by my throat and choked me. In that moment, I'm just, you know, oh, my gosh, how did I get here? Everything's running through my mind. How can I get him off of me? How, you know, how did this happen? How did I let this happen? How did I let it get this bad? I mean, what what happened? He he choked you and then? Um, I was fighting and I was screaming and I stopped. I sat there for a second, like a split second, not even long. And I just kind of relaxed almost, almost like I gave up. Um not really intentional, but I guess the screaming and the pulling didn't help and the kicking didn't help. So I stopped and then he let go. I guess once I wasn't fighting anymore, it wasn't worth it for him. He let me go and he walked out. Um, and then I texted him later and I was like, you know, we're over. I broke up with him. I changed my phone number. And then a couple of days later, I call him um from the new phone number and I start talking to him again and he's giving me this this sob story about his mom and how he used to be abused and I don't know I just kind of felt bad for him and I know that sounds crazy after something like this happens but I don't know Stockholm syndrome basically you know um so we ended up back together and I started to realize that he's gonna do that again like you know his attitude hasn't changed all the I'm sorry is I'm gonna change it's, it's not gonna change he did some other things like uh, show up in my apartment in the middle of the night, um, banging on my door, calling me, came to my job. Um, so I moved <laughs> to, to Georgia from Texas. I left and didn't come back. When Marshall got to Georgia, she tried to restart her life, move on. But she was still racked with fear. What if her ex found out where she was? What if he showed up outside her house? She started dating a police officer ex-boyfriend because, you know, made her feel a little safer. But eventually she decided she wanted to take her safety into her own hands, literally. So she bought a gun. Yeah, that's kind of what propelled me to think of, all right, well, maybe I need to get something where I can actually defend my life if I need to. If you had had a gun, you said that you felt you would feel safer in that moment. Would you want him to know you had that gun? as like a preventive, like, don't mess with me? Or would you have just wanted that for your own sense of peace of mind? Yeah, I don't think I would have told him that I had it or let him know, um, especially if I felt afraid um, before that incident happened. But yeah, I think I would have just had it and me felt better inside knowing that if he does come back in the middle of the night or if he does catch me outside of my house or something, I can't defend myself with this firearm. Yeah. What was the shift like, though, mentally and emotionally? After getting the gun? The shift took a little while. I mean, it wasn't overnight. I didn't wake up and feel like, oh, everything's better now. La, 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 la. Like, no, it took some therapy, and I'm still in therapy, you know, to talk about this thing. The gun wasn't a magical cure. Um, my mentality is what needed to change. So even when I first bought a firearm, I wasn't as situationally aware. I didn't, you know, look outside the door before I walked out or, you know, make sure I pay attention to the strangers or you know, people who aren't supposed to be in the neighborhood that are walking around the neighborhood and they look kind of odd. You know, I didn't pay attention to those things. I would be on my phone walking up and down the street or, you know, just not aware. Mm -hmm. And that was when I had a firearm. And then I started realizing, well, I have this thing on me that can end life. So maybe I should pay a little bit more attention to what's going on around my surroundings because if I needed to use it and I'm not paying attention, well, you know, there's an opportunity to defend myself that I, I didn't take or, you know, I wasn't able to take because I wasn't paying attention. So the mind change had to be, I have to be safe with this thing. 
And I have to be safe just in general in life and paying attention to what's going on. And that change took probably about, I don't know, almost a year to the point now where, you know, I, I, I consider myself an extremely safe and aware person. Marcelle, like Dana, got her first lessons in gun safety in the military. And when she relocated to Georgia, an old military friend hooked her up with a job at a shooting range as a safety officer. When she started the job, though, she realized that not everyone who carries a gun thinks about safety quite as much as she does. It was nerve-wracking the first couple of days, maybe the first couple of weeks, I think, being in a range where people have no sense of safety and you have to teach them that and it's dangerous. And, I mean, you can really get hurt. It's a high-stress job. People point loaded guns at you all the time. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, yes. Isn't that part of the training of, like, please do not point that at a human? People don't listen, <laughs> you know? They get into the gun range and you tell them, hey, you know, keep the firearm pointed down range at your target. Don't turn around with it in your hand. Keep your finger off the trigger. You tell them all the safety rules. And then, you know, in a frenzy or, you know, in excitement or the heat of the moment, they actually turn around with the firearm in their hand. And it happens way more than you think. Did you notice a difference in how the women and men you worked with at the range responded to you? Absolutely. I loved all the women who I worked with because they were so attentive and they listened to everything and they were extremely careful. And there's a, I don't know if it's factual or not, but women are better shooters than men. I say it all the time. Um, And I think it's something to do with, you know, not having the testosterone and the bravado and the ego. Uh, A lot of my male students, and not to generalize all guys, but a lot of the male students that I had, they were distracted or they wouldn't listen or they thought they knew something that they didn't know. Um, so I'm, I definitely preferred, you know, having the women, the women students. Yeah, that's funny. So we talked to another instructor um, who's part of the club uh, Trigger Warning. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've heard of them, but um, she was saying that she's noticed that it's not that women are so much better shots than men are, but that they are just willing to listen and admit they that are. they don't know everything. Absolutely. I've experienced that 10 times over. Every single time I had someone come into the range for a lesson, the guys would say, oh, okay, well, thanks for the safety rules, but I know what I'm doing. And then he's like shooting the ceiling and the floors, but the ladies would listen and, you know, take their time. After a while, Marcel became a manager at the shooting range. But she got kind of tired of what she called babysitting, basically just like watching other people interact with clients. She wanted to do something bigger. So I randomly put it out there on Facebook. Um, Hey, on this day at this time, you know, I talked to this range. They'll allow me to have a you know group of 20 women come to the range and I'll teach you ladies how to shoot. And I was expecting just that, just 20 women. But that first Facebook ad had over 3,000 responses to it. (laughs) Yes. What was the, like, what was the hunger? I think it's because, you know, black women had never seen another black woman that was teaching firearm stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then women in general hadn't seen a whole lot of women who were teaching firearms classes. So, you know, the hunger was, hey, this is new, this is different, and I feel like someone's actually finally talking to me in my market, my demographic. Marcelle's first class filled up, and her second, and her third, and now she has her own business teaching firearms classes. She goes over the nomenclature, gun laws, proper handling and safety and all that. But she's also bringing something really personal to her students. 
I understand the women who come to my classes. A lot of them are sexual assault survivors, just like I am. A lot of them are domestic violence survivors, just like I am. So I understand where they're coming from. I know what it feels like to look over your shoulder. And I know what it feels like to be out of control of your safety at some point in your life. Um, and I think they they get that relation, you know. I can relate to you. We're one of the same. We've been through the same things. And, and I can learn from someone who overcame something like that. And no judgment at all. Our class is a whole, sometimes we have therapy sessions in there. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. It can be emotional. It definitely can be emotional. I mean, I've cried in classes sometimes. And it's a space where you can do that. You know, in most firearms classes, there's no crying allowed. There's there's no hugging allowed. There's no, <laughs> you know, there's no hair references allowed in a class like that. But in my classes, we can talk about those things. This is your space. You're free to, you know, be you. Caroline, I got to tell you that going into this episode about guns, I did not think <laughs> that I would be imagining them in this way as a therapeutic tool for a group of women to sort of congregate around and self-heal around. Like, so ironic, right, that this could be a tool of self-healing, which also inflicts so much deadly harm into the world, but I get it. And that also jives with a study on women and the type of self-defense techniques that we use, which found that women who have been victims are 40 percent likelier to then buy and carry a gun. It's kind of like almost a form of like reclamation or Absolutely. something. Absolutely. So one of your uh, hashtags is not a victim. Right. And um, I— I'm really interested in hearing from you what that hashtag, what that statement means. Like, what does it encompass? So Not a Victim for me started when, um, so I was sexually assaulted um, years ago before the domestic violence situation happened. And when I first, it took me about six months to acknowledge and admit that it happened. But when I admitted it, I kept saying I was a victim of sexual assault. Like when I would open up to people and finally tell what happened, I would say, I was a victim. I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. And saying that made me feel worse. Every time I said it, I felt a little bit lower and a little bit less than than I did before I said it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is this is really odd. And Law and Order SVU is one of my favorite shows. And on one of the episodes, Benson was saying, um, Detective Benson. You know, oh, yeah. yeah oh, exactly. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> she was saying you know, hey, no, you you survived this. You know, you're one of the survivors. And I started thinking about it like, I survived this. There are women who don't survive rape. There are women who don't survive domestic abuse. And I survived. So I'm going to, you know, take honor in surviving a situation and, and not continue to victimize myself by saying that I'm a victim. Well, how does that attitude and that line of thought play into your classes and the women you teach? A lot of women, I would say about, I don't know, 40% of the women either during the class, after the class, or before the class say, hey, you know, I was a victim. And I immediately say, the minute you decided, you know, to survive and keep living and go forth and, and defend yourself and or learn other methods of getting your sanity back and your sense of safety back, you are no longer a victim. At that moment, you decided to be a survivor. That's a choice that you made. And it's empowering. The women's whole demeanor even changed in the class when we say that. Like, you're, you're a survivor. Good job. You made it. <laughs> yeah, what kind of changes do you see from when those women walk into your class to the time they leave? Everyone walks in scared. 
everyone walks in like pale faced and sweaty palms. And then I start talking and then, you know, everyone's laughing. I'm making jokes about like hair grease or something. I don't know, something random. My husband being in the refrigerator at three o'clock in the morning. It's a light class, but I, you know, I interweave in, you know, the safety and the fundamentals and everything that you need to know. And then they kind of relax a little bit. They're like, okay, well, she's not this stern, you know, er, angry person. She's not militant with a buzz cut. <laughs> um, so then they relax a little bit. And then we get to shooting and then they get a little, they tense up a little bit, especially when the first round goes off in every single class. It's loud. And like, oh my gosh. Right. And then I start talking. I'm laughing with them. Like, hey, you did, you did a good job. Or, oh, you shot him in his pan- pancreas. Or, oh, that's. <laughs> You know, I start talking to them and and they're like, hmm, okay, this isn't that bad. You know, the first time it's nerve wracking, but after you continue going, you kind of adjust to the sound, then they relax a little bit Um, and they see other women doing it. And they're like, well, if she can do it and she can do it and I can too. And they calm down. And usually by the end of the class, everyone's like, I can't wait to do this again. When is the next class? And everyone's all excited and happy. And we go home and drink mimosas. (laughs) (laughs) And that's usually what I do after the classes. I go have a drink somewhere. Marshall has taught 65 classes since that first one. That's more than 1,000 women. But her personal goal is to teach 1 million women how to shoot. And, as she says, how to not be a victim. I mean, the conversation, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, very polarized. Um, What does the media miss when it comes to women and guns? Uh, everything. Like, I don't know. The the way Women and Guns is portrayed in the media is kind of like a, I don't know, it's just a cool headline to them. Even in some of my interviews, it's like, oh, we just like this because it sounds cool and this is going to get us more clicks on this article. We don't really care. And maybe they treat everything like that, but it's kind of like a novelty thing. Or the other thing that I get a lot is people think we're doing this because of the political climate and, and the president and you know, as a as a reaction to the president. And that's actually been the title of some of the articles I've been in, like mm-hmm. Black Women Pick Up Guns in Response to Trump. And I'm like, that's not at all why I did this. I don't care about that man at all. I just, you know, I want to be able to defend myself. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter who the president is. I'm still, you know, vulnerable out here in, in this world. Marshall says women who take her classes do express concern about blatant acts of violence towards people of color and women You know, events like Charlottesville or Santa Barbara. But to her, especially as a Black woman in the South, these threats aren't new. They're just a little more visible now. But Caroline, there's still a really big question that I bet a lot of unladylike listeners are wondering when we're going to address, which is, okay, inside the gun range, totally safe, totally fine, kumbaya. But in the real world, so to speak... Do guns really keep women safer? We're going to talk to Marcelle about that after the break. We're back. And Caroline, I'm in a bit of a statistical dilemma. Because how do we reconcile the fact that women who have guns say they feel safer with them, and I believe them, with the fact that guns escalate violence against women? When it comes to intimate partner violence specifically, the presence of a gun makes you five times likelier to be killed by an abusive partner. 
Yeah, and I wanted to hear what Marshall had to say about those statistics. Um, so those statistics are absolutely true. Um, the thing that those statistics don't address is whether the person was trained with that firearm and whether they were comfortable with that firearm. Um, and those are really big deals. Buying a firearm and sitting it at the top of your closet and saying, hey, guys, I got a gun in my closet. It's not going to help you at all, you know, but being comfortable enough to use that firearm for what it's intended to use, which is to defend your life, um, that that's what people need to understand. And also, a lot of people purchase firearms and they're not morally, emotionally or mentally prepared to take someone's life in defense of their own. That's a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. you have to do some soul searching, you know, talk to whoever you believe in and and think, can I actually do that? If it comes down to it, your life or mine, can I actually use that firearm against you? And a lot of people cannot and they think they can. Um, so there's a lot of people out here who have firearms who shouldn't have firearms. Even, you know, the good guys. There's a lot of good guys out here and they have the best intentions. They should not have a firearm. So is that when danger can get ratcheted up when someone is just not either trained properly or prepared to take a life? Absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot of people who have firearms and they think, oh, I'm Billy Badass now and I have a firearm. And they escalate situations themselves and it's not necessary Um Or there are people who have firearms and they don't know what they're doing with the firearm and they accidentally escalate a situation Mm -hmm. because they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. No one's ever going to see my firearm unless I'm at the gun range shooting or if I'm about to defend my life. Yeah. You know? I feel like so, so often you hear groups like the NRA or whoever, you know, telling women don't be a victim and they do sort of there is that responsibility that's put on the on the woman to protect herself. Right. How do you feel about about that assertion of, like, women, all of this responsibility is on you? It's a tough responsibility. And honestly, I wish I didn't live in a world where I had to carry around a firearm to defend myself. You know, I wish I lived in a world where, you know, my ex wouldn't have choked me. But I don't live in that world. So I understand that, okay, I don't live in that world. And I can beg and I can plead and I can wish that bad people stop being bad people. But in my experience, they haven't. And I've wished that for, you know, 20 years before I got my firearm. So, all right, well, bad people aren't going to stop being bad people. Well, I'm going to have something where I can defend myself against a bad guy Mm -hmm. um, or bad gal. And I think that's something that a lot of people aren't understanding. And, you know, I, I wish I lived in a world where, you know, having a firearm wasn't even a thought that crossed my mind. My life was just so safe and carefree and crime free that... I never even had to consider it. I mm-hmm. wish I lived in that world, but I personally don't live in that world. So for me, it's it's not even an option. It's mandatory to have the firearm. Yeah. For others, it's not. You are allowed to defend yourself. Yeah. You have that right, even if that means defending your life, um, you know, and having in that process to take someone else's life who's trying to harm you. You have that right to do it. Is that something that women come into your class not really feeling? Is that something you have to work toward? Absolutely. I think it's a cultural thing. Women are taught that our bodies are not our own. Even me as a married woman, right now, if I went to my doctor and say I wanted to get my tubes tied, my doctor would tell me and has told me, you have to ask your husband, right? You you need your husband's permission to tie your tubes. And that's crazy. We're taught all through society, movies, TV. It's, it keeps reiterating to us that our our bodies and our lives are not our own. And I hate that. I hate that feeling. And it comes to the same thing with safety. My grandmother told me, because she was told by her mother, 
marry a man so that you can have someone to save you or defend you. I hate that feeling. It shouldn't be that way. I shouldn't have to depend on somebody else to to save me. I can be my own savior. So we keep getting told our lives are not our own. And that's why a lot of women hesitate in defending themselves because they almost feel like I've even felt this. I need permission Mm -hmm. to live my life and defend my life against this man, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I hate that feeling. I Mm -hmm. hate that thought. Well, so yeah, defending yourself, having a gun in these situations, absolutely feeling safe, feeling empowered. But what about all of these stories we're hearing about women, specifically black women, Mm -hmm. ending up behind bars, arrested because they did try to defend themselves? Well, there's a couple of situations, and I can't remember her name. There was a young lady in Florida who shot warning shots. Marissa Alexander. Yes, she shot warning shots. And it's a warning shot, you know? That's what you're supposed to do, right? No, No? I absolutely advise against warning shots. It's a horrible idea. The worst, she actually probably would have been better off had she shot and killed him, honestly. She would have been better off had she killed him. And that's horrible to say, and it's a horrible quote. But it's the fact. You know, warning shots are very dangerous. I tell people, don't do it. Don't even present your firearm. Don't pull it out. Don't touch it. Don't move it. Don't even think about the firearm Mm -hmm. unless you are absolutely sure that in that moment you are ready to take someone's life. That's the only time you should ever present or pull out a firearm on anyone ever. Don't try to scare them. Don't try to reason with them. It's if you need to take someone's life. Because if you do it in any other instance, one, you can go to jail. Or two, you can injure yourself or other people and you don't, and that's, if that's not what you intend to do. So, Caroline, Marcelle's answer to this really struck me. I, this was not what I expected her to say at all. And honestly, looking at the prosecution of Marissa Alexander, it really raises not just like the the problem of firing warning shots, but really the problem of how subjective these cases end up when women do shoot their gun to protect themselves, specifically in the home. Mm -hmm. Because if we're looking at stand your ground laws, they're based on something called the castle doctrine. And this goes back to English common law and the whole patriarchal idea that a man's house is his castle. And therefore, he has the right to protect it and all of his possessions and family, including women, inside of it. So this has evolved into today's, quote-unquote, stand-your-ground laws. And the NRA says stand-your-ground laws are great for women because, hey, this is when you can just, you know, if a violent rapist comes your way, just shoot him up. However, the really fucked-up thing about this law is that there are provisions for domestic violence victims to shoot an ex-partner or spouse who comes into their home, but they have to have already been victimized and Mm -hmm. take out a protective order against them. I find it so enraging that our self-defense culture is a thousand percent targeted on women and basically scaring us into the potential threats that we might face and this need for us to always be on high alert, whereas our self-defense laws are built to protect men, the kings of their castle. Okay, Caroline, end of rant. Let's get back to your conversation with Marshall. Are women ever really safe? No. Even with the firearm. Even you can do all the training. You can lower across that thing and still get caught off guard, you know? And that's the thing about guns people don't realize. You can do everything right, and it still be the worst day. You know, it be it's a day where you drop the gun or it jams or, you know, 
the person you're defending yourself against just gets the better hand. It does happen. So having the gun is not just some Superman cloak and you're just good to go. Things can still happen even though you have that firearm. So you're not automatically safe. But it gives you an opportunity to be safer if you use it the proper way. And do you feel like, though, that that (laughs) the feeling of safety is worth all the risks, you know, that you just listed? For me, it is. Mm -hmm. For everyone else, it might not be. Yeah. So it's a personal decision. I've never tried to shove guns down anybody's throat. I'm not going to be there if someone tries to rob you. You're going to be there if someone tries to rob you. So you have to decide for yourself if you want to figure out if you're going to defend yourself with a firearm or mace the guy or kick him in the in the scrotum and run away. You know, that's your choice to make. I just want to educate you. If you want to seek the education about firearms, I'll teach you those things. And if not, more power to you. And one last question. Um, you have clearly taught your students so much and you're clearly like, walking these women through what can be a very emotional experience. But what has teaching them taught you? So much. I've learned so much about myself in this last year. I found some reason to be here. Like, it sounds really crazy, but I was lost, you know, when I called myself a victim. I had no purpose and no drive and no motivation to do anything. You know, I quit jobs and moved around a lot, but now I have something to do and a reason to be here and a goal. And I love helping women. I absolutely love it. Probably the most important thing I'll ever do in my life. Helping women. For Marshall, that means teaching them how to shoot a gun, how to stand up for themselves. That feeling of confidence and empowerment is obviously crucial for a lot of women who feel unsafe. But... I mean, we don't have to tell y'all that, like, going out and buying a gun is not the solution for everyone. And Marcelle and Dana make it really clear that even owning or just knowing how to shoot a gun isn't an instant fix. It's still practice to get comfortable with that tool and also understanding how our brains work with that tool so that when you are faced with some kind of threat— that you know how to respond in a safe way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, Caroline, after exploring our original questions of why do women buy guns for self-defense and what happens if we actually use them to defend ourselves, how are you feeling about guns? Uh, I'm definitely not buying one anytime soon. Um, I do agree with Dana that it seems like the issue of toxic masculinity is the root of the problem. And guns are only, to me, guns are only escalating all of that. And while I don't feel weird about, like, personally holding and handling and shooting a gun, all of the realities about how much unsafer guns can make us, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally, like, I'm even farther away from ever buying a gun. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. And I also feel so much compassion, and honestly, admiration for women like Marshall, women like Dana, mm-hmm. you know, who who <laughs> understandably feel like they are imminently under threat because they have survived yeah. trauma. And I'm not going to tell them, you know what, like, sorry, you just need to bootstrap your feelings and right. put away the gun. Because like Marshall said, like, that is not the world we live in, unfortunately. And I'm really, really, really looking forward to what listeners have to say about this issue because, like, 
both of those things can be true at the same time. Like, guns can escalate violence and can statistically be really harmful to women, but guns can also feel like the only way that you can sleep at night mm-hmm. if you are a woman. Yeah. So, y'all, how do we build this bridge and advance our conversations about guns and really safety overall wherever we live? Because don't we all deserve the right to protect ourselves and feel safe? So tell us all your thoughts by emailing us at hello at unladylike.co or hit us up on social at unladylikemedia. And y'all, we wrote a book with words and amazing illustrations by Tyler Fetter. So what are y'all waiting for? Pre-order it. No, really, the pre-orders matter. (laughs) You can find all the info at our website, unladylike.co. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter for weekly doses of actually good news about women in the world. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelet. And we are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. Next week, have y'all ever answered the question, how are you, like this? Uh, I'm okay. I'm all right. (laughs) I mean, I'm as good as it can be expected during this administration, I suppose. Then you do not want to miss next week's episode. We're talking to Imani Gandhi, basically like my ultimate Twitter crush, about how to keep your eyes on the prize in this shitstorm of a political moment. Make sure you subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app so that y'all don't miss it. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shooting range of mimosas. Like, that sounds like a great Saturday. Exactly. Exactly. Drinking mimosas after. After that. you shoot. <laughs> Stitcher. <laughs>